Welcome back, or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we talk with Jasmine Lothar, a mountain ultra trail runner based in Nelson, British Columbia. Jasmine recently set a course record at the 2022 Canyons 100K, and in the process, punched her ticket to the Western States 100 this June. In addition to race analysis and expectations for her summer slate of racing, which also includes the UTMB CCC race, we get to know her background as a mountain sports athlete, what it's like to live and train in Nelson, what her long-term goals in the sport of ultra running are, how she thinks about racing, philosophical musings, some talk about climate change activism, and much more. Let's get started. Okay, Jasmine Lothar, welcome to the Single Track Podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to be here here today, Finn. I think you just registered one of the most impressive performances at any mountain ultra trail running event that I can recall, at least in the past couple of years. I mean, anytime you take down a Beth Pascal course record, uh, that's that's front page news. How are you feeling right now? Uh, yeah, still pinch me. It's real. Um, <laughs> every single day, uh, post race, it's been, um, so surreal. Yeah. That's really how I can describe it is surreal. Well, I definitely want to go through, uh, race day, how everything was executed. And then obviously talking about what your summer plans are potentially with Western States and UTMB and beyond, but I do think it'd be interesting to get into your background a little bit. And I think we have a mutual friend, Dave Stevens, who's been on the podcast. Great guy. Also had a great performance this past weekend at Canyons. And uh, I think one interesting thing there is you're both based in Nelson, British Columbia, which just came on my radar a couple months back. And it seems like a pretty cool mountain sports town and it's produced a lot of great athletes like yourself and Dave. So could you just talk a bit about the scene a little bit and what uh what makes it a great place to live and train yeah we're we're really putting nelson on the map so <laughs> it's been great um yeah nelson's this cute little ski town um it's super humble very very open uh back in the day um it was always this hippie town um i actually was born and raised there and um uh, yeah, it, it's very colorful, lots of arts and music culture. And then I got to say the the skiing is really great. We've got awesome powder skiing. Um, and then there's a big mountain biking scene, lots of trails. Um, yeah, so it's, it's a great place to grow up and it's a great place. Uh, now I've just moved back there for the past four years and um, I'm kind of settling down a little bit more, you could say. Uh, but it's been a great training ground as well. Um, it does come with its challenges, of course, being a little bit smaller and then also in the winter, um, I can get into that a little bit later, but, um, yeah, it, it's been a, a super fun place to, to keep training. I'm definitely, definitely, yeah, I'm definitely curious to get into, um, you know, what type of mountain athlete you identify as now, given the success you're having on the ultra scene, but, um, Talking a bit more about Nelson, do you have regular training partners there or are you mostly doing the bulk of your activity solo, like in the lead up to canyons, for example? Yeah, good question. I, I definitely mostly train solo uh, and there's a few reasons for that. One, I, I think running, I, I do like it somewhat as an independent sport and I like to just go off and kind of be in my own 
headspace and go my own pace and for workouts and things like that. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe I just haven't experienced a full running community and, and Nelson's getting there. It's growing. Um, actually, I would say kudos to Dave Stevens because he um, organized with a few other folks the first ultra uh, race that I ever did and then that definitely Nelson has ever seen. Um, it was Tackle the Toad back in 2019. And uh, I signed up for that totally on a whim and uh, hadn't really trained at all for it, but came out doing pretty well. And um, ever since then, every single year, I see more and more people getting into ultra running. So it's growing. Um, I can still count on my hand the number of people that are like actually running longer distances. Um, But there's a a scene of runners um, showing up for sure. And and there is a run club um, once a week and and definitely people get out together. So, um, yeah. And then... Um, even with Dave Stevens, who came down to Canyons, we had James Crossman from Roslyn, which is another small uh, ski town really close to Nelson. Uh, we had Thibaut Comel. He was in the, the 50K, and he actually came in fifth place, which was super awesome. And, um, yeah, so we've got a little crew um, hoping to, to do some more races with all of them. And uh, every once in a while, we link up and go off and do a a nice long run or a mountain adventure together. So it's pretty fun. Yeah. It sounds like you have to adjust with the seasons there. Like winter can be pretty difficult. It could be difficult to be a runner there in the winter. And uh, I'm curious, like if I'm a tourist and I'm coming into town uh, and you are uh, showing me like the marquee ski routes, climbing routes, running routes, where am I going depending on the season? Like where am I going to run in the summer? Where am I skiing in the winter? Where am I climbing in the fall and spring? Yeah, really great question. And uh, okay, so we're going into summer. So um, a really fun place to run that has trails is called Kokanee Glacier Park. Um, It's a provincial park and it's just stunning. And the the trails are really flowing and it's all runnable. Um, You can spice it up and make it a little bit more scrambly. You can even bring some rope. I've even done some, there's a glacier and, and you can hop over some crevasses if you want to. So it's got something for everyone up there. Um, yeah, so that's Kokanee Glacier Park. Um, there's over in the Purcells, you can get into up to Jumbo, um, which has hit the news. There's um, There was a ski resort that was going to go up there, but um, there was a lot of public backlash and, and First Nations and a lot of people who stood up for for preserving that land. So um, over there, it's it's stunning. It's just big, wild land, glaciers galore. And um, yeah, you won't see many people out there. It's, it's pretty remote. Um, and then the other one would be Valhalla Provincial Park. Um, and they are a very special place for, for climbers, hikers, and um, runners who are okay with um, maybe getting off of a trail and doing some more scrambling. Um, there are trails, I would say, that you can run, but it's really fun if you can do some link-ups. And um, even Dave Stevens, he's done the entire Traverse. And, yeah. I mean, that's on my list. No woman has ever done that. Um, so I'm hoping to do that sometime soon. Um, but uh, they're just really cool looking. There's the Devil's Range, and there's all these towers. And I've, I've climbed a bunch of the peaks in there. And, and uh yeah, it's aesthetic, amazing climbing as well. Um, so 
that's in the summer. Um, yeah. So we on through, um, yeah, the shoulder seasons, you're kind of, yeah, you can still run a lot. You can still do a lot. And then in winter, yeah, skiing becomes quite um, definitely a bit more of my focus. I think I would go a little bit crazy if I was only running. And and skiing just gets you up into the Alpine, which I really love. Um, is just some of the most beautiful places you can ever imagine. Um, so, yeah, you can go back to Kokanee. You could go to the Valhalla's. Um, I would say actually um, – Close to Caslow, you're um, getting into, it's kind of, we call it like the Retallic area, um, just north of Caslow, and there's some really beautiful mountains in there. Um, somewhat similar to uh, Rogers Pass, which a lot of skiers like to flock to. But again, you're not going to see a soul out there, which is what's really cool about the Kootenays, is it's still this hidden gem that's really hard to get to. There's no direct easy airport that's close by and uh, you really have to drive a little bit further to be able to get there which is why I think a lot of us Kootenai folk love it so much. Dave told me to ask you more about this Valhalla Traverse so tell me what makes this so special what so enticing and uh, it sounds like it's on your list at some point so walk us through what this whole Traverse thing is. Yeah, I really want to ski it as well, but I'm I'm struggling to find some people to go with me and do it in in a single push. Um, yeah, it's definitely well. There's challenges in the summer and in the winter. Um, it would be probably faster actually in the winter. Um, but yeah, the Valhalla's are just this very special place, and it, it's it's again like I say, um, not too many people out there and. Um, it's pretty remote. So if anything were to go wrong, you would either have to, you can canoe across, you can take a boat, um, or it would be a helicopter. There's, there's no road access. Uh, so yeah, you've got to know what you're doing or at least be okay with, um, sticking out a night, which Dave had done. Um, <laughs> um, I think on a ledge the one time they, they failed and uh, they had to curl up on some rocks and, and huddle together. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, if you look at them online, you'll, you'll see some really cool photos. Um, there's, there's Gimli Peak, there's um, the Devil's Tower, and um, they're all named after um, uh, like Norse gods. There's Scotty and... Um, all of these different peaks. So they're, they're pretty cool. Really cool. Mm -hmm. I'm curious to uh, learn more about your background as well. So maybe you could tell us a bit how you got into mountain sports in general and then. Yeah. So, um, um, I guess I'll, I'll go back all the way and uh, just make it brief. But yeah, when I was a kid, I was always into running. Um, I did cross country and I was already, very competitive at a super young age. Um, I, I made sure I never lost a race. <laughs> um, I did lose one and uh, that one I stopped to tie my shoelaces. But um, yeah, it's a good humbling lesson, which is always, uh, yeah, I think everyone needs to go through that. But um, throughout my high school, I, I played a lot of soccer and I did a lot of dance. Um, so that I think that just helped create a good foundation for lots of different things. And then, um, 
in university, I slacked off a lot, um, but I kept running just as a, just to keep healthy and, and things like that. And then I was starting to get into rock climbing. So I was mostly sport climbing and, uh, it's kind of, you know, you get into your gateway, um, which for me was, yeah, sport climbing. And then I started to get into trad climbing um, and then more kind of multi-pitchy. And then I fully got into alpine climbing. So um, I was just all about climbing. Like I could talk, I would go to parties and I would just only talk about climbing the entire night, you know. And that's the thing. You can be talking about your moves and you're just like this total nerd. Um, just loving every minute of it. But um, yeah, so I was getting pretty strong and and I uh, wanted to do some big wall things and looking at Yosemite or or traveling the world and, and doing that. Um, I think I progressed, you know, I could get on a 512 and muscle my way up it or, you know, I sometimes would on-site um, one or things like that. But if I wanted to progress even further, I think I'd have to like do it full time. Um, I don't think it would be possible working a full time job and and being able to progress further. So, yeah. And then in comes ultra running where <laughs> that's where I said, yeah, I signed up for that tackle the toad, the 50K and hardly trained at all. I think even Dave had watched me on Strava and he was just like, oh, my God, Jasmine, your training is terrible. You know, I'd go for like one or two runs a week and then once a month I'd go for a long run. And that was my training for, for this 50K. I did like a 20K, a 30K, and then I did my first marathon, which took me like six hours, something ridiculous. And it was like the most painful thing ever. Um, yeah. And then I, I did the race and came out coming first and having actually a decent time somehow. I, I had the most lactic acid you could ever imagine and <laughs> was like in pain all week, like even more than any of the other races I've ever done. So um, definitely paid for it. But yeah, after that, um, yeah, it, it just kind of opened this door like, oh, okay. Like I actually did fairly well with on that without having had trained and, uh, Oh, what would happen if I did train? And, and, um, yeah, Dave approached me and he was like, Hey, do you want to coach? Like I would coach you happily. And, um, Dave's just one of those people that believes in you more than you believe in yourself. Um, he's done that the whole way through. And even up mm. to this race, he was like, you're going to win it. Like, there's no question about that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I'd be like, no, I'm not, but okay, whatever. Um, yeah, so so yeah, leading up into 2020, that's when I really started training. And um, here comes COVID, all the, all the races got canceled that I had signed up for. And yeah, I was just curious to see what would happen and, and just really was enjoying it. I was enjoying getting out, going to the Rockies, doing some big long traverses and and then went after a few FKTs. Um, some of them worked out well. Some of them I'd get lost. Some of them I rolled my ankle. Um, some of them would be like a storm would come through and pull out your emergency blanket. And, and um, yeah, so uh, I got two, but um, which I'm, I'm super happy about. Um, someday I'd love to go back and, and get a few more. Um, but yeah, so that was super fun. And, uh, 
And then last year I was actually self-coaching and did a few races and, and did fairly well as well. And, uh, yeah, um, coming up to this year, I guess. And, and over the time I've just decreased the amount of time I'm doing other things. And I just have focused more on running. And if you want to progress at something, I've realized you kind of have to let go of those other things. So yeah, I wish I could be climbing as well, but, uh, it's just not realistic with everything else on my plate. Uh, so someday maybe I can go back to climbing, which I would love to do. And, and, uh, it'll always be there for me. So yeah. That's my long answer. Well, I'll tell you, you said a lot of interesting things. I've made a note to come back to a couple of them. I think, yeah, you mentioned entertaining full-time athletics at one point. And that's interesting to me because you have that background in climbing. And I don't have a climbing background, but I see all the movies and climbers are extremely creative at living, like making things work around their craft, like more so than runners, in my opinion, more so than skiers. Like they have the the dirtbag lifestyle just like dialed. So very interesting. And then I think you said something interesting there when you said, if you want to progress at something, you have to let go of other things. So I made a note to come back to that. But one thing I'm curious about, given that you have this experience in so many mountain sports, skiing, climbing, running, um, who are your inspirations in those realms? Whether it's in running or climbing or, or skiing, are there any particular athletes that over the years you've looked up to or you've just gotten like a ton of stoke and inspiration from and they, they have a big influence on how you approach athletics yourself yeah yeah and i think it's it's constantly evolving and and my eyes are opening to new people and you know before it was more the climbers like uh emily harrington or, or brett and um these strong female climbers uh, nina williams things like that um and then mark andre leclerc and yeah um <laughs> Yeah, just to name a few of the the fearless climbers and skiers I see out there, and um, they're doing things and uh, that no one has ever done before. And, and sometimes it's like, oh my gosh, do they have a death wish? But at the same time, you can just see that they're they're so in something that they they're so passionate about. Um, and then with running, yeah, it's it's slowly kind of I'm learning about who's in the game. Um, and still very naive about the whole community and, and, and getting to know people. But um, yeah, a few people, um, I could name a few. Um, like even I, I just learned about Hillary Allen's story, like literally like yeah. two weeks ago, I just learned about her story and her falling off that cliff and her comeback and her determination to, to keep with it um, and coming back even stronger. So yeah, super inspiring there. Um, uh, some other runners, uh, Judith Wider and Ladia for being moms and also these amazing athletes. Like I just can't even fathom, but they pull it off and they come back and it's like, yeah, it, it's something that terrifies me and something that maybe someday I'll be going down that realm. Um, because I do love kids, uh, a lot, but, um, yeah, as an athlete and as a female, I think that it's, it's something that, uh, we kind of have to face and it's, it's a really hard decision. It's a really hard thing to, hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, go down that path. So I think for those females, um, yeah, major inspiration for me. 
Um, and then some of the other people, I mean, like, God, you can name Killian, um, but whatever. He's, he's always doing amazing things. Um, but sometimes with, um, with my skiing, like I look at Francois and he's come into the picture more and uh, he skis all winter and he's like, no, winter is for skiing. And then he comes out into the summer and is just crushing these huge distances. So that, that to me, I'm kind of like, oh, okay, if he can do it, like, yeah, I'm going to go ski and I'm going to go enjoy that. And um, I think actually leading up into canyons, it worked really well for my training. And uh, I think for endurance, skiing is a really great thing. You're not going to get injured um, unless you tomahawk or something like that. But um, in terms of for your body, it's just so good for you, um, especially those big days. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's so many people I could keep naming all day, but um, we've got a great community out there. Well, maybe we can talk for a second about the trade-offs of being a multi-sport athlete versus going all in and really focusing on one. And then in this case being mountain ultra trail running, because yeah, as a fan of great athletes like yourself, I think that like the quote unquote unbalanced lifestyle is so cool. Like when I see somebody doing something to the exclusion of everything else, I'm just like, it's just so attractive because like you're taking every single possible ounce out of that sport that you possibly can, as opposed to distributing some of your energy across like three or four different sports um, but you mentioned people like Francois and Killian and others that, you know, do skiing in the winter, running in the summer. So I'm just curious where you stand because you, you said that really interesting comment of like, if you want to progress in a sport, you have to let other things go. And so I'm not saying one is better than the other, but I'm just curious how you reached that conclusion. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's ultimately correct, but definitely for where for me, I needed to let go of climbing to the extent that I was. It just wasn't possible. And I was so fatigued. And, you know, on my running rest days, I would go climb and I'd be like, oh, I got to climb really hard because I haven't been climbing as much. And then I'd go for my long run and then I'd go climb and then just see my performance deteriorate. And so, yeah, it just, it was too much. And it's like trying to pack in 25 hours a week when you're working as well it's just not not feasible or it's not sustainable um yeah so if if you're a professional athlete and uh you can do that then all the power to you for sure i think the pros of being a multi-sport athlete i mean there's there's many like if you get injured in one you've got another one to back up so you've got this resilience and you still can identify as an athlete and I think that's something that can be really scary like if you do get a running injury like what do you do you know you can hop on a bike or sometimes yeah you can go climbing and and you can do these other sports which um just allows you to I think for your mental health um you would be a lot more sustainable and resilient um the other thing I love about coming from a climbing background is is just having that knowledge with ropes and, and safety and and being out in the mountains for really long times. Um, oftentimes my alpine climbs, you're you're out there for 15 hours and you've got to keep moving. Like if you stop, then you're going <laughs> to be in a super dangerous situation. So um yeah, there's that. Um, and then tying it in with ultra running, I was always really excited. It's like, ooh, I could bring, you know, a really 
really uh, lightweight rope and a, a bit of gear and and go do like this big traverse but do like a speed ultra climbing kind of thing um so yeah it just opens up some doors and and i have done that a few times and whether you're rappelling or or getting off a glacier or things like that it can make some pretty fun adventures um uh, yeah but I, I think the con is just your time it's it's time and and um just wearing yourself out, wearing yourself too thin and, and, um, what's sustainable. And yeah, maybe if you are like someone like me where I was still somewhat novice at running, there's so much room for progression. So I think it just made sense to, to really focus in on it. Again, I I just think it's super cool. I think that like the status quo these days is, you know, everyone's talking about balance and sustainability and, you know, I think that there's some really cool stuff to be uncovered when you go all in. What do you think you're capable of in this sport? Like, what's the ultimate goal with Mountain Ultra Trail Run? I'm still figuring that out, Finn. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I I mean, even going into canyons, it was like my goal time was 10 and a half hours. And I had no idea. It was, I had no idea if I would be capable of that. And it just sounded like this crazy thing to me. Like, how can you run that in 10 and a half hours with that much elevation? I just have no idea. So I'm still testing the waters and still have a lot to learn for what's possible. But yeah, the, the, the fact that it was on par with Beth Pascal's time and she's done so many amazing things. It's like, whoa, okay. Well, maybe my dream of, you know, I, I really want to do UTMB and I will. Um, but yeah, it, it starts to plant the seed. Well, what can I do really well? <laughs> can I win it? I don't know. But um, I mean, at the very least, yeah, it definitely opens up more doors and, and more more curiosity. So I guess we'll see. Yeah, well... I got to ask this question because I was scrolling through your Strava. There was a pre-race shakeout you did three or four days in advance. And it sounds like you were going in at sort of a disadvantage. You mentioned that you had an A goal and then you might've had to readjust and look at like a B, C or D goal. And if that was your B or C goal, I mean, that was crazy impressive. So are you saying that you might've even left some performance off the table because of like sickness or injury or something like that? Possibly, quite possibly. Uh, So yeah, um, on Sunday before the race, I, um, that evening, I just started to notice like, oh no, my, my throat feels a little bit swollen. And then Monday it was like, yep, this is definitely some sort of cold coming in. And um, I was freaking out. I, I think in tapers, my immune system just totally does not do well Mm. this happened to me before run rabbit run the 100 miler and Mm. i got really really sick and that definitely impacted my performance quite substantially Mm. but um yeah so you know i'm doing covid tests making sure very little symptoms last week i just had sore throat and i felt really fatigued um and then I just doused myself with all the medicine I possibly could, oregano, garlic, salt, lemon, like vitamin C, zinc, everything. And I was trying to sleep like 10 hours a day um, and I uh, just laid low. Um, I, I was freaking out, like um, talking to folks, my parents, my friends, my partner, uh, my coach, like, should I even go? Do I even bother? Um, you know, 
I, I wasn't going to go. I literally wasn't going to go. And then it was actually my mom. She came over and she was like, you know, I really think that you need to go. I think that you're going to do really well. You're going to surprise yourself. And what are you afraid of? Why are you afraid of going? And uh, yeah, she was right. It was like, oh, I'm, I'm afraid of what? Like, does it really matter if I don't get top 10? Does it really matter if I don't get top three? In the big picture, it would still be bringing me to my even bigger goal, which is going to UTMB. Mm. So yeah, um, it's going to make you stronger and uh, still getting out to this amazing race. And if I got more sick, then yeah, maybe I would just like hang out and watch people. Um, So yeah, I I went down, I felt pretty all right. And then I had a a few more nights of sleep and uh, came out actually feeling pretty good. So I think I I, um, got over the worst of it for sure. And on on race day, I felt pretty normal. So I, I think for the most part, I was, I was really lucky there. It was like the softest little, little blip of a cold possible. Cool. Well, maybe we, uh, transition to a little bit of race analysis here. I'm curious, you mentioned in your post-race interview with I run far that when you got to about the 25 K mark in the race, you were surprised to be in the lead. You thought that you were chasing at least a couple, uh, competitors ahead of you. So I'm curious, what was it like to be on your own island all day, not having any, you know, fellow female competitors to run with? And instead you were mixing it up with a lot of the guys in the top 10. So I'm curious, do you enjoy that atmosphere? Is that something that you, or is that something that you just happened into on race day and it was a new experience and you just dealt with it? Yeah. Yeah. So I was in total disbelief that I was in first place for quite a long time. And then it wasn't until, like you say, the 20, um, the 25 kilometer mark where, okay, everyone is cheering that I'm the first female. All right. (laughs) All right. It's true. Um, And uh, yeah, it just totally stoked my fire. Like all engines were on. Everything was feeling really good. And before then, when I thought I was in 12th place for the longest time, it was like, oh, I feel so flat. Oh, I'm not meant for this sport. Oh, I should like, why did I even come? Like, of course I'm doing not very well and all these negative thoughts, but it was like, well, keep going. Like maybe it's a hundred K, maybe I'll be able to catch up and be top 10, whatever. It's all right. But that was going through my head. And once the switch happened, it's like such a different psychology. It's like, okay, I'm in first place. I just need to make a gap and just make sure I feel good and I feel like I'm on fire right now. <laughs> yeah. So it's so cool. I, I, I mean, uh, absolutely. I enjoy that. And um, yeah, and just running with the guys and, and seeing some of them going really fast up hills. And then later on, I'd be passing them and, and things like that. So um, yeah, I felt pretty good throughout. There was definitely a few points where I think I got a little bit too hot in the sun, like around Forest Hill. Um yeah, I was fighting off some nausea, but um, was just keep on the fuel, keep on the hydration and keep moving. You're going to get through this and um, let's just make the biggest gap possible. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of I, I, I like that psychology when you're in the front. It's different. You can't ask people how far ahead people are. Um, I really wanted to know how far, far behind they were, but um, no one could tell me. So, yeah. <laughs> 
this might be a weird psychological question, but I, th I think it makes sense in this context. Do you prefer to be a leader or a follower? And this could be for in a race context and or in other areas of life as well. Yeah, I always find that interesting, and especially with the biology background. Um, yeah, we're we're social beings, so I often do find myself as a leader or as like an alpha, and even sometimes like with skiing when you're assigning your leader of the day. It is interesting because I do find um, even if I'm with a group that I don't really know, they often do assign me as the leader. Um, so, yeah, whatever it is, whether it's pheromones or just <laughs> your own social yeah. conduct, um, I think it all feeds in. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I do like to be a leader. There's maybe a few social instances where um, I'll, I'll totally be a follower as well. But, uh yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's that's a good question. And then once you were like firmly understanding that you were in the lead and well ahead of the rest of the race, I'm curious, were there any doubts at any point or, or low moments in the race? And if so, what strategies were you deploying to, to get through, to push through and obviously to, to finish where you did? Yeah, I think on some of the climbs in the latter half, uh, I just noticed, okay, I'm, I'm not climbing or I'm not able to run quite the same grade I was at the beginning. I still, my, my forte is kind of steady climbs, um, but some of those slightly steeper grades, I was having to power hike a lot of them. Hmm. And so, yeah, I was just a little bit worried that some of those other strong women um, might be catching up to me on some of those hills. But yeah, it's just, you kind of have to have faith and, and no matter what, just keep moving. And even if they are going to catch up to you, like what's going to happen, you're still going to survive. It's all going to be okay. Um, I think I just knew, okay, I've got at least a golden ticket locked in for sure, um, without a doubt. And then uh, at Deadwood, there is a loop there. So I was very, very sure to ask the the aid station people, um, um how far behind the next uh, female was. And they were like, ah, you don't need to worry at all. Um, <laughs> but they wouldn't give me a number, but that's okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So um, yeah, just keep trucking. And, and if there's any sort of mental challenges, it's, it's just chitter chatter and just, just enjoy it. Um, come to your senses and just take in the, the air, the, the sense, the smells and, um, everything that you're seeing. So I think that that always helps me whenever I'm in a, a weird mental space. So you've mentioned UTMB a couple times in this conversation, which is interesting because you got the golden ticket here at Canyons and I think you accepted it. So you're going to be going to Western States first in June. Am I correct in assuming that you're going to attempt like a Western States UTMB double this summer? I've got to figure out what, what I, um, qualify for <laughs> and what I can do. Um, I think I can do CCC. I'm not sure if I can do UTMB okay. and maybe yeah. CCC is a good place to start. And uh, yeah, it's on a section of the UTMB course and it would be going against all the Europeans and all like that. So um, maybe that's a good place for me to start. And then maybe in 2023, I can go for UTMB, but yeah, that would be amazing. <laughs> Well, what are your initial thoughts about states? Like, do you have any expectations? Because it's a pretty quick turnaround. And I looked at your ultra sign up. I don't see a hundred. Oh, actually, I see run rabbit run. So you do have you do have experience at the distance at a pretty tough race as well. So yeah, what are your expectations there? 
Yeah, I'm I'm very curious. It'll be interesting. And I, I'm really thankful that Canyons is on a good portion of the course and uh, coming off of a good win that, that puts me in a good headspace. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. Lots of heat training <laughs> coming from Canada. So yeah, it starts off with that big climb and then you're on kind of a down downhill descent, but still with a lot of climbing throughout. Um, I, I feel really good about it. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens, but I felt even pretty good at the end of canyons. I think there was still, you know, mentally you're always preparing for the distance that you sign up for, but, um, my body held up really well throughout that race. Uh, so, and I'm very thankful I did run rabbit hundred miler and that just adds, a sense, okay, I can do this distance and, um, I'm stronger now. And, um, yeah, as long as my body can hold up, um, hopefully maybe I'll go out with some of the same strategy I used for canyons, which was a little bit of a fluke, but, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. It's a different playing field, of course. I was just going to ask if you were going to deploy the exact same strategy at canyons for Western, because and maybe I'll just pose a hypothetical here because I'm, I'm curious about like confidence, for example. Let's just say that the strategy at Canyons didn't work and you experienced like a blow up at mile 40 or 50. Are you somebody that still has confidence in your abilities? And if there's an op- another opportunity to race, let's say Western States or CCC, you know, whatever is next in your lineup, you're going to double down, triple down. You're going to try it again and you have faith that it's going to work. Yeah, I have faith that no matter what I would do well, it's just, yeah, whether I would win or not. Um, um, I'd probably, I, I would have faith that if everything holds up body wise, that I would be top 10 and that I'm always happy with. Um, and even if I didn't make that, um, still going to Western States this early on in a running career, I'd be super grateful about, um, but I, yeah, there's just somewhat of a certainty there or just like this feeling of faith. I don't know that, that I get with these races. Um, and, and so there's, yeah, I guess it's like trust. It's like, I have that trust in myself, which is cool. Um, of course. Yeah. If, if I did blow up and, and everyone was like, Oh, she's a fluke. Um, (laughs) I, of course I'm going to continue on and, uh, yeah, I would train as much as I possibly could for, uh, something over in Europe, uh, for sure. I do want to bring the conversation back to this concept of work that we were talking about earlier. And uh, you just won a race that was freaking deep. Like that women's field was so deep. And um, in my mind, you instantly skyrocket up to the top of the sport in terms of like best female ultra runners. Um, Do you start to think about like a change in long-term plans or do you just carry on like normal? Like, do you just keep going back to your current position as a biologist, which I want to get into as well? Or do you start to think like, wow, maybe there's like going to be some sponsors knocking on my door and there's an opportunity to like go and do this full time with like Solomon or Hoka or, you know, whoever I want to jam with. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, been pretty wild, uh, post-race and, uh, yeah, it it could be, I don't know. I, I don't want to dream too far, but, um, even today I was thinking about it like, Oh, wow. I wonder if I could tie it in with some of my other multi-sport activities and, uh, you know, do some 
even mega like expedition type things. And, oh, my God, <laughs> that would be my dream come true. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm totally currently unsponsored. So um, <laughs> contact me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think um, some doors are opening for sure. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what happens here. Um, I've got to come down to my values and, and see what aligns and, and what kind of makes sense and, and fits. So I've got a lot to learn definitely in that area. So I've been really thankful. A lot of people have been reaching out in the ultra running community across the world mm. and they're offering me some advice on, on sponsorships, contracts, and, and just going into the professional athlete sphere. So major, major thank you to everyone who's been doing that. Do you have experience back in your climbing days? Did you have experience like living out of a van or doing like the dirtbag lifestyle? A little bit. I, I did travel around New Zealand in a van for, for some time. Um, it was supposed to be for a full year, but I ended up staying just for uh, four months. But um, a part of me was like, oh, I need to be doing more for society and for the world. I don't know. Um, I felt a little bit guilty. Um, yeah, so maybe a part of me also needs to still feel like I'm contributing to um, bettering the, the world mm. in some way. Um, yeah, I, I definitely have been there a few times in my life. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I think as long as I felt like I was, yeah, like I say, contributing but still also connected to learning more not just about sports and things like that. And that's what I love about um, being a, in the science realm um, and connected to environment and conservation. Um, it is something that's bigger than myself, um, especially in this world that we live in today. So um, otherwise I'd, I'd feel very like a privileged person complaining about sports and things like that all the time. <laughs> I definitely resonate with that urge to be a public servant, to serve your community. You know, how can I be other centered? Maybe this is a good opportunity to talk about your, your current career as a biologist. What do you do exactly? And um, I'll also preface this by saying, it looks like you've done some pretty cool, like climate activism-esque stuff on your social media handles, like Instagram. So maybe talk about that as well. Yeah. So uh, in my work, I, I'm a, a plant biologist or um, an agrologist, which is technically the ecology of agriculture, but I, I wouldn't say that's really what I do. Um, I work in restoration and rehabilitation of um, definitely more so disturbed areas. Um, but uh, And then I, I focus in on, on plants and vegetation. So oftentimes I'm working with invasive species. Um, so these are typically species that have just been introduced to, um, to the province, actually. And so um, it's all about early detection and rapidly responding. So a lot of these species have impacts on, um, it could be on agriculture mm. and the economy. Um, if they get into crops, they'll completely devastate them. Um, others, uh, like right now, we're dealing with a lot of grasses and um they just take over grasslands, shrub step ecosystems. Lots of them are in the States as well. And uh, they make it, it's totally unpalatable to livestock and wildlife. And then not only that, um, 
oftentimes they senesce quite quickly. So they'll, they'll dry out. And uh, a lot of the big fires that we've been seeing are caused by invasive species or at least contributed um, partially to them because they're just, it's a huge monoculture and it becomes a horizontal fuel source. So um, with climate change, invasive species, and um, all of the disturbance that comes with that, um, it just makes this big issue even bigger. Um, So yeah, I see a lot of those. Um, I could talk about it all day long, but um, yeah, so I'm I'm a a plant nerd. and then with uh, yeah, you might have seen on my my bio and stuff. I'm I'm doing a little fundraiser right now. It's it's for one of our local nonprofits in the Kootenays, and and they do great work for wildlife conservation and climate change advocacy and uh, preserving old growth forests um, mm. in British Columbia. And uh, yeah, they work long and hard, and um, I've got to give it to them. So. I'm just doing a, a little fundraiser as a metaphor for climbing um, the huge mountain of what climate change can stand and, and make us feel totally paralyzed. Um, I'm hoping to do it this May um, if it still works with my training plan for Western states, which it actually maybe could, um, would be doing repeats on our little local hill in, in Nelson um, to make up Everest in in uh, elevation, so I'll do at least nine thousand meters. And part of me is a little bit OCD, so if I'm feeling okay, then why not make it ten thousand? Um, yeah, so we'll see. I hope to do it, and uh, I know my quads will be killing me, but it would make me heck of a lot stronger. So yeah, why not? There's a lot I want to ask you there, but for the sake of time, just one question. It's kind of big, so you can take it wherever you want, but. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about what we can do as society for for the climate? Yeah, a little bit pessimistic, if I'll be honest. Um, you know, I don't know if what needs to happen is just totally shaking us all up. Um, I hate to say it, but yeah, we're reacting really slowly to this this urgent thing that's um, going to get worse and worse over the years. Um, so yeah, we'll see what happens, but yeah, in the next 50, 100 years, a lot's going to change. So we have technology on our side and innovation and progression. So with that, hopefully we'll come around and, and we can make some big changes, but it'll be interesting how it all plays out and maybe some big scientific discoveries will help save the day. But uh, yeah, it'll be interesting what the earth looks like in a hundred years and it's not going to be the same. That's for sure. Mm. Well, really enjoyed this conversation. I like to close out with a couple rapid fire miscellaneous questions. The first being, why do you care so much about our sport? Where does the passion come from? Yeah. What is the why? (laughs) Yeah. I always got to have a why, um, especially in these long distance running I think it just comes down to the challenge and, and doing things that you don't know if you're capable of doing, um, whether it's a 50K race or whether it's a 100 miler. Um, every every race is different and, and doesn't even have to be a race. It could just be running a, something that you've never run before and uh, takes you to all of these beautiful places. And usually you just get into that, that flow state and uh, – yeah, just find total, total peace. So 
yeah, the challenge, the mental state, and uh, these beautiful places it takes me to. What is something that you used to believe strongly earlier in your mountain sports career that you have changed your mind about and why? Yeah, this question, uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not totally sure. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I wish I could go back to um, even the earlier days. Um, I remember when I was first learning about ultra running and, and just not even understanding how it was possible. And I had a, a handful of friends who were, who were doing it and it was just like, yeah, it's so refreshing. And you have to remember those days when you did not understand how it worked. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess now I, I, I know a bit of the secret and that's with the training. Um, maybe, maybe it's just that, you know, you look at the race result and that's just the tip of the iceberg. And uh, there's, there's all the training that led up to that. And that's really like how you got there. So yeah, then maybe that's my answer. <laughs> you can take this in any direction you want, but maybe I'll initially ask it around climate. Are there any good environmentally related books, podcasts, movies that you've consumed recently that you think the audience might enjoy? Like they're, they're relatively accessible and would be interesting. Ooh, good question. Yeah. You know, I haven't actually on the environmental side for, for too long. I would say everyone needs to watch the documentary, uh, Anthropocene. Um, it's a beautiful documentary and, uh, the images in it are just jaw dropping, like beautiful, but then also just, um, uh, I don't know how to describe it. You're like horrified, but awestruck at the same time. Um, so Anthropocene is a, a must watch for sure. Last question. If you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would you say and why? Yeah, I love it. Uh, Anyone can be an ultra runner. Anyone can be an ultra runner. Um, truly, truly believe that. Um, yeah, if if you can can move and uh, you know you, you just got to train and um, be consistent and and anyone can be an, an endurance athlete. So yeah, <laughs> a perfect message to help bring our sport to the masses. Uh, Jasmine, this has been awesome. I will make sure to link to all of your social profiles and other resources in our show notes page. Hope to see you at CCC later this summer. We'll do, hopefully do like a pre and post race interview there, depending on uh, what you do. And um, before we go, anything else you want to leave the audience with? Uh, it's just been great. Super fun to be on this podcast and, and I'm excited to listen to more of your recordings. So yeah, I'll see, see everyone over at Western States in a very short amount of time. <laughs> Thank you so much. We're excited. Thank you. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jasmine. We will be back later this week to talk with Jared Hazen and round out our Golden Ticket Talk interviews from the Canyons 100K. Before we go, if you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and consider leaving a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast. It helps more trail runners discover the show. Until next time, I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and you have been listening to the Single Track Podcast.